Welcome to episode 59 of the Permaculture Pimpcast, the only pimpcast out there where we discuss permaculture, preparedness, and practical living. How you doing back there in North Kakalaki, son? <laughs> Pretty good. How are you over in Arizona? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but this episode brought to you by Hickory Ridge Soap at TwoOldCrows.com. Turn that simp into a pimp. Bam! Also, EMP Shield, y'all, 50 bucks off with a promo code PERMA. And don't forget to check out that new micro. That thing is off the meat wagon, especially on your smaller items. All right. So you can also check us out on the Fountain app where you can tip a pimp. That's what I'm talking about, y'all. <laughs> you so can also not- check out our own website, too. That's one thing that we've been failing to or we've been neglecting to mention on the webs or on the p- pimp cast, Dad, is the website. Yeah. We have our own yeah, website. That- <laughs> That's a really that's a really good point. Yeah, we got some stuff over there at the website. We're going to be working more and more on it. Um, our nephew or my nephew, who has been working on it, has is still displaced ever since that giant hurricane in Florida, and that's where he lives. So we're going to be doing more and more work on there. But if you need anything from us, go check out the website. We got plenty there, and we should have coverage because a lot of people are asking. What do you think, son? By the end of March, we ought to be back. We ought to be selling comfrey again. Well, if it stays as warm as it is, uh, I think we're only supposed to have one more cold snap, supposedly. I mean, who can even predict it? Definitely not the Weather Channel. But if uh, if the weather stays as warm it is, as it is, we should get it a little bit sooner than that. There's some on the uh, the back terrace that's popping up right now, actually over by the pond. So that Man. makes sense, though. Well, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, it was funny, and I'll get to that. Remind me, well, if I don't remind myself, the same phenomenons happened around the body of water I was around yesterday. But let me jump right into this tip of the day. And I know it doesn't apply to everybody, but I'm here to tell you, don't visit copper mines. <laughs> I went there yesterday. They, I took one day off because everybody takes that day off. Saturday is kind of an optional day, but Sunday is, uh, you know, everybody takes off. And I get it. You know, Saturday, it was just the crew from Earthship, um, myself and one other guy, and everybody else pretty much took the whole weekend off. But it was really cool because, I'm you know, I'm really, really getting to the nuts and bolts of how this thing is put together, especially now that the framing's going on. But, yeah, man. Um, So Sunday, I decided, okay, I was going to take a little time and rest, which I did. And um, still haven't been sleeping worth a hoot out here, man. It's like every night I get up at oh dark 30, need to drink some water, and then, you know, struggle going back to sleep. So sleep has not been a wonderful – usually I sleep like a baby back home, but out here, it's just not been a good thing in terms of sleep. I mean, I'm lucky to get five hours, it seems like, some nights. And then it's – even then, it's kind of like, you know, I thought Saturday or Sunday, rather, I'd take a little time and rest – and I did in terms of not working, but I didn't rest in terms of sleep. So I'm still trying to catch up on that. Anyway, went out there. Everybody, the locals were telling me, go check out this mine. And I'm thinking, man, how interesting could a mine possibly be? Well, that those storms that hit California are finally making their way through here. And, of course, it's not, not really 
is really not that bad. I mean, more drizzle than anything. Well, here's what I'm trying to say, son. Is out there that copper mine? I cannot get that smell out of my nose that was out there. I mean, I was there yesterday. Today's Monday. And I still can't get that nasty copper smell or whatever it is, whatever they're using out there. What floors me is that these people are working there day and night, as I understand it. And those trucks, I mean, they are so doggone enormous. Folks, if you haven't checked out that last video, check it out. And even in that video, it doesn't really do it any justice. But these trucks are running day and night, um, you know, taking all this stuff and they're getting the ore out of it or getting the copper out of it some kind of way or another. Well, anyway, I still can't get that out of my nose. So look, if you're ever in the area, everybody's going to tell you, go check out this copper mine. You look, it was a mistake from the word go y'all. Well, check this out. I went to jujitsu today. In fact, I just got back right before recording this podcast. Um, but the guy who owns the entire gym, not the guy who teaches jujitsu, but the guy who owns the entire gym, he is a geologist. And apparently he watches the YouTube channel. And I didn't know that. Uh, but he came in today as I was I just got dressed and I'm walking towards the gym. Um, he came up to me. He's like, hey, I just saw that dad or that uh, video of your dad over in um, Arizona. And he's at that copper mine. I was like, yeah, he said it really stank there. He's like, yeah, that stuff isn't good to breathe. <laughs> that stuff is apparently wow. not too good. It's what they use to strip the copper, apparently. That's what it, um, yeah, I guess that's what it is. They use some harsh chemicals or whatever. He said it probably smelled like eggs, like sulfur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah, said that very... stuff wasn't good to breathe in. So Yeah, but these people, that's what, that's what floors me. Well, I'll tell another little side story to that is all those tires there, for some reason in my career, I have worked in my electrical career, I have worked in three different tire plants. One was down in Lawton, Oklahoma. The other was in uh, Topeka, Kansas. And the other was down there at uh, Cooper Tire in Texarkana. And um, just so happens one in really cool history about that tire plant and what it used to be during World War II, the one in Topeka. And if and then that crazy so-called Baptist church is right across the street from it. Um, it's, it's just down the street from there. But anyway, all those tires were made at that plant that I worked at. And the reason I know that is when I was working at that, those plants, I remember the first time I ever saw these giant tires, and I think they were like 12 feet tall. The first time I was ever there, they would find, they told me they'd find people in there sleeping in these tires because they could be hit. And... What you're saying about the copper mine, I'm wondering what the death rate is out there among those people. But also there was in every one of these tire plants, all the guys that worked in this place, and they always put me in the nastiest places in there. And they call it the Banberries, where they make these tires. And it's this powdery black nonsense that you just cannot get off. Well, these people are smelling this stuff day and night. Mm every single day and they told me down at cooper tire that is like you can almost count it i mean it's like a guarantee that once the people retire out of there they like die within a year or two after having left there and i wonder mm. if it's that same sort of thing over here in this copper mine wow. so the tires they're using on those vehicles i've been there and now i've been officially at this copper mine but that was not the place to be so yeah tip of the day don't go to a copper mine y'all because i'm still <laughs> smelling that stuff
All right, so we're going to drift right on into farm news. And out here, um, just to kind of give you an update. Yeah, so we, so yesterday it was a couple of things. Uh, saw the copper mine, and then, sorry about the noise, y'all. I'm kind of doing this in a weird remote place, and I'll just drop something. But anyway, um, after I was done with the copper mine, that was like 45 minutes away. And then I drove in the opposite direction to go to Mount Graham, which I just happen to be working at the base of right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm at this lake and it's a state fishing lake and stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm the only one there. It was weird. It was a little bit creepy. And then, of course, I'm talking about Mount Graham and what's going on up there. And believe me, folks, I only gave you the cliff notes. If you want to know the full extent of that, watch or rather read Exo Vaticana by Tom Horn and Chris Putnam. And it's some, and then look at the, look at some of the stuff, the interviews that Father Malachi Martin did a while back um, before he was, I think, murdered. And what he talked about was going on on the top of Mount Graham. And you look at Vatican insiders and there is a lot of weird history around there. So I was well aware of this. I have the book at the house. And I've even seen a documentary on it. And to be right here at the base of that mountain, I'm like, of all the people in the world for me to, I mean, for all the places I could be, you have got to be kidding me. I am right there at the base of this mountain. In fact, everything around here is Mount Graham this, Mount Graham that, Mount Graham High School. They even have a, it's called the Discovery Center or something like that. And it's open every night except for Sunday till nine o'clock at night. You can go in there. Apparently, they have a legit telescope. You can sit here and check some stuff out. So before I get out of this place, I'm going to have to swing by there after work. But usually when I'm done working, I'm usually so wiped out that, you know, I'm just trying to get back here, get everything put together so I can do it all over the next day. So, but, check. you know, the thing that frustrates, frustrates me the most about Mount Graham and the Lucifer telescope up top? What's that? Okay, so Lucifer is an acronym, right? Like Lucifer Telescope is supposedly an acronym. This right. is the acronym. This is what it stands for. Large Binocular Telescope Near Infrared spectro Spectroscopic Utility with Camera and Integral Field Unit for Extra Extragalactic Research. There, that, is, that is not the best way to say that. They made, <laughs> they made, they came up with the word... They saw Lucifer and they're like, all right, we need to turn this into an acronym, y'all. And it needs to relate to a telescope. And that's what happened. Well, it's funny that Tom Tom Horn and Chris Putnam even talk about, if I remember right, that they even affectionately call it Lucy, as a matter of fact, yep. the telescope itself. Yep. So, oh, so you, you see that on your end as well? Yep. Yeah. It's because they, they actually refer, they prefer to refer to it as Lucy. Well, let me tell you a little bit more for the folks that might have saw the video. I can only give you the cliff notes there. I'll go into just a tad bit more of what's going on up there. So I described in there that that's one of four holy mountains to native people. And what they consider the top of this mountain to be is literally a stargate where things come in and out of this realm. Now, if you look at some of the other research where a lot of these things have happened, where they find strange artifacts or elongated skulls or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that the Vatican usually slips in or the Smithsonian, either one of them, they'll slip in, call it a heritage site or the Vatican for years and years would slip in, put up a monastery, and then all of a sudden the excavations would happen. 
tons of information on that sort of thing. So when they took over, when they teamed up with Arizona State University and they took over the top of this mountain, man, apparently, like talking to the local people around here and what brief opportunity I've had to do it, I'm thinking I'm telling them something. And they're like, yeah, we know all about it, man. And we're not happy about it. And you run into a lot of these people around here. So me being who I am, you know, I'm trying to have a conversation with anybody I can talk to. And yeah, it's like everybody I talk to around here, they're like, yeah, we know all about it. Um, the native people, I mean, it was just confirmation of what's in that book, Exo Vaticanus. So that was really, you know, the thing about it is, um, if I'm gonna go a little even further sideways, if you read the book of Enoch, some people consider it to be like a parenthetical book to Genesis six, where in Genesis six, it says, you know, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. You read the book of Enoch, they talk about this incursion of these watcher angels that came down on Mount Hermon. And then when you can't consider all the times in the Bible where mountains had extraordinary um, power, or it's where Moses went, you know, to get the Ten Commandments. Jesus went up there. And some people think that Jesus went up on Mount Hermon um, when he transfigured. And a lot of other times in the Bible where all these mountains have had pivotal roles in a lot of these stories. So going back to Mount Graham, I'm thinking, okay, good night, man. I mean, I can at least examine this stuff. I mean, I haven't personally seen any of this stuff happen, but a lot of these folks really believe this thing to be something of a Stargate. So it's, it, it, it is definitely worth examining more and more. And folks, I would highly recommend you go over there and check out, um, maybe take a look at the book Exo Vaticana. Um, it was the same guys, by the way, who predicted with the only people on the planet that I'm aware of that actually predicted the previous pope, the one that just died. They predicted the day. I mean, not the day, but the month he would actually step down and people were floored. So you ought to read that book. Also, um, um, Petrus, Roma, Petrus Romanus to um, discover how Tom Horn also knew that the Pope was going to. So these guys definitely, when that happened, when they predicted that, and then all of a sudden they wrote Exo Vaticana, I mean, man, they had a lot of gravitas in my eyes because, boy, you got that first one right. You mentioned yeah. earlier that the Span or the Vatican was sending out monastery or missions to cover up or to build uh, monasteries and stuff on top of these, these uh, sites. Yeah. Well, the United States has sent out more missions than any or missionaries than any other country like in the world. So what have we covered up? What have we well, been covering up this point. whole time? Well, excellent point, son. Um, looks like, you know, well, we can. I mean, if people knew the real history of World War II. Um, check out the work of Dr. Anthony Sutton. There's a reason why they had to blackball him, because he was dropping the, the real truth of what happened on who funded the Nazis, who really funded the Nazis. Um, what happened in World War One? What you think? What you've been told ain't true. And what happened in World War Two and all the subsequent wars? What happened in Vietnam? Yeah, so we've done a real good job of hiding this stuff ourselves. I'm not just coming down on the Vatican. Every government, to some extent or another, is in on a lot of this stuff. And there's a giant cover-up going on right now over the last <laughs> couple of years. And it continues, and it persists. And it's going to probably continue to persist, but okay. Hey, we need to get back in the farm news. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind talking to Joel Thomas at Kill the Mockingbirds. I wouldn't mind talking to him because I bet he knows a lot more about this stuff than even I do. 
and honestly talking to Danny at Deep South Homestead, because I talked to Danny yesterday on the phone and, um, you know, he knew it. I mean, what I said was only the tip of the iceberg. He knew considerably more. All right. So I'm going to get back into farm stuff and well, basically stuff going on here. So told you I worked Saturday, me and one other guy and then the crew there, everybody else took off. That was cool. Um, work today, man. I finally found a place to get some legit Mexican food around here. And it's like one of them joints, man, where it's like cash only. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you ain't got cash. You ain't getting nothing. Where it might be a front. <laughs> yeah, well, no, man. I got to say, dude, the food would knock your socks off. Everybody else was saying going to this one restaurant. And I know what good Mexican food is supposed to taste like, man. And that wasn't it. And I'm like, okay, man, I'm just going to go with one of these stab and jab places. Because I guarantee, man, there's some vato in there, man, really laying it down. And I was right. I rolled up in there, got a couple of tacos and a couple of burritos. So I brought the burritos to work today. And uh, they got these three dogs on the job site, man. Check this out. They got these three dogs on the job site. I always bring my backpack in. I never have food in it outside of a couple of kind bars or granola bars or something like that. And um, next thing I know, man, there's these two dogs, man. They look like that one that was on PBS. I can't think of the name of it. Spot. Well, whatever. It was a little dog, man. Yeah, the little Jack Russell spot. Well, I don't know what his name was, but I don't think it was Spot. But anyway, it was Spot, y'all. I, <laughs> I remember that dog. <laughs> these dogs got my bag tore up, man. <laughs> I left. It, I didn't zip it all the way up because I just got like a pair of gloves out of there, and I left them two burritos in there because a lot of the meals, excuse me, a lot of the meals they serve around here are vegan. Well, I ain't. I don't roll that way, man. So I've been bringing my own food. The first day they had like sandwiches and lunch meat. And then a lot of the folks out there, man, it's not, you know, it's not like they're using tongs. They're reaching in there, snatching this lunch meat out of there. I'm like, I don't think so, man. I'm <laughs> going to bring my own. Man, each one of those burritos, I'm telling you, was a, about a half pound a piece. And these dogs ate that thing like a monkey going through a <laughs> cupcake, dude. It was unbelievable so they long story both. short dad lit a tire on fire and cooked the dogs man <laughs> man all i could think about i mean it was cute because these are cute little friendly dogs but your mom would have got a kick out of something like that i wasn't happy because i'm sitting here salivating like pavlov's dog because lunchtime's rolling around and i ain't eating no vegan food and then i'm over here eating granola bars for lunch because these dogs don't <laughs> eat my burritos Dang. both of them those two little dogs ate a pound of burrito. Dang. Yeah, man. So it was, yeah, it, it was interesting. But um, sorry about the noise, y'all. I mean, I am in a town, and it's, I mean, it's not like I'm isolated in, um, you know, back where I live. Well, one, one other thing I wanted to point out, too, in the farm news was, um, like, when it rains here, we had that rain event. Now, son, if you lived here, what would you be doing to capture rain uh well first of all there'd be a tank okay you need to calculate if you live in an area like that and you only get like one or two rain events a year you need to calculate the maximum amount of rain that could possibly be and get a tank that size um and that's just for like household use that's just for your house um but everywhere else every earthwork every inch of land would be used to to harvest, uh, direct, and store water. 
Well, I've been paying attention for the last couple of days because it has been raining and tomorrow it's supposed to rain as well. And I'm looking and I'm really just floored because I hadn't seen a single home out here that had a single rain barrel or any means to capture any of this water. I haven't seen any earthworks. In fact, I spoke a little bit today with the owner of the property that I'm working on right now with the Earthship and asking, well, hey, you know, do you have any plans on what you intend to do with the water? And it still appears to be a plan in motion. Um, I threw out a couple of suggestions. We'll see if he does anything with it. But the thing that floors me is that you have limited rain out here and I'm not seeing anybody in any way, shape or form trying to capture any of this rain. And it's a little disturbing. Like when I was at that lake the other day, I'm like, I saw a couple of places like where the water was being pumped into this place. I'm not quite hmm. sure how that was happening, but there is, look, folks, the, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get at here is no matter where you live, we live in a temperate rainforest and we even have rain water collection squared away. You want to be thinking about that, especially today, this day and age where everything is on shaky ground, where, you know, they could just turn off the power at any time and then, you know, what are you going to do about your water? So you might want to give some serious consideration as to where you are getting your water, because I don't think it's going to get any easier as time goes on. And so do you have any more thoughts on that? No. Um, as far as other farm news, uh, we're still chopping wood, still getting that stuff ready, still moving trees around. Um, we started uploading YouTube shorts. Uh, not the same thing as the Patreon shorts that we've talked about before in the past. These YouTube shorts are like those 15 second clips that you like swipe up on, uh, to go to the next one. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we started uploading those. Um, those are extremely popular. Um, they, uh, we already have like a couple thousand views on them already. That's, uh, and we're getting people that wouldn't usually see them as well. So there is well, that. that's good news because, I mean, like we've talked before, you're not going to tell me, it. Had, well, we got a homesteading tsunami that we're, you know, the people subscribing is like seven a day. So, yeah. you know, they're playing their games, y'all. It's like anybody who has any, we talked about it before, anybody that's doing anything worthwhile in the homesteading space on YouTube is suppressed. And I know these people and I've talked to them. Like I said, one of them was Danny at Deep South. Um, the others haven't really given me liberty to say who they are. But if I said their names, you would almost certainly know it. And all of them are being suppressed. So if you aren't doing, if you're doing legit stuff um, that might help somebody advance their journey in homesteading or permaculture or whatever the case may be, you are being suppressed. So we're trying to find ways to break out of that box and get this information to as many people as we possibly can. All right. So we don't have anything from Pastor Lon today. He is up to his eyeballs, him and Miss Robbie down there. So I didn't get anything from him. Um, in terms of a message. So we're going to jump right into the world news now. Well, hold on. Before we before we get into that, uh, don't forget about the voicemail line, 828-380-4419. 828-380-4419. Keep almost right. forgetting about that. So we need to do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get more squared away when I get back to the house. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, check this one out. So bad news for every one bad news story we got we're going to offer two and i've so got some from uh the fountain app too uh there was somebody that's uh submitted some good news stories for us all right well we'll have to use them next time i'm kind of filled up this time okay but um 
yeah, so check this one out. Bad news is this dude's at Mall of America and he is wearing, and I saw this video. He has a Jesus Saves t-shirt at Mall of America and is ordered by security guards to take it off or leave at the nation's most famous shopping center. Now, the thing that's flooring me, first of all, um, I mean, and the guy literally says, it's offending people. Okay, so in the background, and I don't have a problem with either one, but you see a lot of uh, Muslim women wearing, you know, their garb. Nobody says anything to them. But this guy wears a Jesus saves. And I wonder how many other people were running around that place with lewd profanity or whatever the case all over their T-shirts and nobody said anything to them. I mean, that, that just that floored me when I saw that. But frankly, I'm not even surprised anymore. Um, you know, even I remember when I was wearing a lot of shirts that had U.S. flags on them, son, about where we live. You get people rolling their eyes at you or a Second Amendment shirt. Are you kidding me? <laughs> or a permaculture pimp daddy shirt? <laughs> no, nobody found that offensive. Are no, you sure? The pimp part? Yeah. Oh, well. Well, nobody ever came up to me and said anything offensive about that. Um, in fact, I mean, most people generally think it's funny. And then when I explain, you know. Make men men I, again. That one. Well, that one. Yeah, yeah. The make men men again shirt is probably the most offensive thing I got. All right. So we'll get on to the good news. Um, growing number of Illinois sheriffs say they'll refuse to enforce new gun control laws passed in Illinois. How about that? That's exactly what I'm talking about, y'all. You want to elect constitutional sheriffs that aren't going to be shooting down your Second Amendment or anything else for that matter. It's just, <laughs> I mean, every single place you turn around, there's somebody in here trying to snatch out what you have, even though you're not a criminal. How about that? Well, well here's, the other, here's the other good news story, y'all. And I'm going to suggest you go check it out because when I heard it the other day, I was pretty impressed by it. It's, it's hilarious, really. This rapper named High Res created a genius song and video parody of extreme liberalism and twisted communist um, trends infuri infuriating our republic. Well, he came up with this song, and I guess you can find it on YouTube. It's called 2 Plus 2 Equals 5. And I didn't hear the whole thing. And it really just, I mean, son, here's why I say this is such good news. And just like the last one. You have all these sheriffs saying, nope, we're not going to do anything that's unconstitutional. No matter where you stand on the Second Amendment, it's in there. It's the Second Amendment. Well, when you have people like rappers, and he's not the only one. I'm sure you're aware of a number of others. I don't listen to rap music, but um, when you have people in the rap community that are asking or forcing people, because art is one of the best ways to do that, when you have people there calling out what's going on in the system it is the best way in the world to wake up the public because also a number a number of well the, the really best way of all time is ridiculing the people in charge of doing this stuff and i don't think you could have done it a better way have you heard this song no i haven't heard it yet i'll have to check it out high res was he on Stu peters like a couple months ago i don't recall but i heard the song um, listening to Mike Adams podcast and I was like okay I have got to check this out hmm. and I was listening to it on the way to you know working out here and I was like okay that's clever but 
it's also a bellwether because when you start seeing, I mean, you played them on this show. How many other rappers that oh, are yeah. asking critical, critical, critical questions about what is going on in this world and how it's, we're all being robbed and screwed and turned upside down, you know, this way and that. And when you start seeing people in pop culture calling it out, then it's just a matter of time before it hits a point of critical mass and then people really, really, really start waking up. So between the people that are, you know, when you have NFL players on Monday Night Football falling down, you have a 1,000 athletes in one year dropping on soccer fields, baseball fields, tennis, football. It will only wake people up, as dreadful as that is. And uh, this this here is only going to, you know, go further to wake these people up. Well, it's funny you you said that because the rappers seem to be really the only kind of like music artists that seem to talk out about what's going on. Um, like, look at how many country music artists are are speaking out about what's going on. I ain't heard of one. Or what Not about like even rock? Rock is supposed to be like anti everything, anti establishment, isn't it? And yeah. well, how many of those guys are speaking out? Well, there was a guy being interviewed with Tom Horn, and he was one of those rockers, and he was he was just appalled because it should have been like you said it's it was the counterculture culture. Now, I mean, conformity. I actually was going to do a shirt that says "Conformity, the new counter counterculture," because that's exactly you know what it has turned out to be, at least in my judgment. And yeah, rock and roll used to be anti-establishment. Do the very opposite. It was. You know that was the whole motif from rock from the day from day one, mm -hmm. and now it's like, yeah, you're gonna have to put on this mask, you're gonna have to take these shots to go to this concert, and the only ones, you know, I'm I'm having a different opinion on rap music than I once did, but honestly, it is the only thing out there speaking truth to power right now, and nobody seems to care in all the other genres. Haven't heard anything from country. I mean, I'm sure it's out there. And folks, if you know of anybody, let me know. I'll give them a shout out here and let everybody know about them. All right. Well, with that, we're going to move into our first break. Well, speaking truth to power, um, there you have it right there. That's Van Tesla and Joel Thomas over at uh, Kill the Mockingbirds along with Sean Chris. The name I mean, of the song is Plato's uh, Plato's Cave. I, well, it might be Plato's Closet. I think he said closet in the song, but it's Plato's Cave is the reference. Well, that's that's I mean, I didn't plan it this way, but it just happened to be that way is that, you know, Joel Thomas is also. Um, along with Sean Chris on Kill the Mockingbirds, these guys are calling this stuff out. And then through their music, they're doing the very same thing. So, yeah, once again, proving the point that these people in the rap game seem to be the only folks out there that have any real interest in calling out what's going on. So, you know, kudos to those people. All right, topic of the day. I was asked in an email, 
and it was kind of embarrassing when I stopped to think about it. Um, how do we deal with disease in our gardens and stuff? And I'm, I'm also going to throw in there animals as well. Um, folks, this may shock a number of you out there. First of all, son, I can't believe we've never even talked about this ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, I mean, we, we don't really deal with disease for the most part. I mean, the most, the most common issue we might get is, uh, too much water. So like, uh, some mold and mildew type, type funguses that pop up on plants, like especially tomatoes, they're susceptible to it. Uh, but proper practices and aerobic environments really eliminate a lot of the disease issues. And then also your, your uh, beneficial bacteria as well. Like with trees, we eliminate a lot of diseases with trees because dad sprays them with milk. And they have a super healthy ecosystem down at the base. Well, there's a lot that, okay, well, we'll start with the trees right quick because I, I think that's a really good place to begin it. Well, we don't we don't use pesticides we don't use any miracle grow we don't do any of that stuff like william said if you go back and folks i, I i've told folks over and over again if you read one book um on permaculture i would definitely suggest uh one straw revolution by masanubo fukuoka um basically he was permaculture before the word was invented and in a nutshell he proved and it should have been obvious to the whole world really that if the soil's right, everything else is right. That you don't have a disease problem, you got a bad soil problem, you know? And so like with the trees, I spray milk on there and that's a trick I got from the great Stefan Subkoviak and he uses whey, but you can use organic milk as well. The idea being in that case that, you know, it, it doesn't kill anything. It just enables the good bacteria and mold and fungus and stuff like that to outcompete the bad. So you're just giving them an advantage. And, you know, I do that whenever the sun's bright and spray both sides of the leaves. And I only do it like maybe once a month in the growing season. Outside of that, we really don't, all we do in terms of trees is just add more and more and more carbon at the base. And then every once in a while, we'll take some compost that we made on the property. Remember, it starts at the soil. And we sit there and we just basically make a massive compost ring around every single tree. And then you'll find out that basically nature does the job for you. And so we're going to, now that's not to say that you're not going to have losses. And when we do, I don't baby anything. We use, we take a bunch of horses to the race when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So what we typically do is Mark Shepard's stun method. It initially stood for sheer total utter neglect. Well, he's since changed it to strategic total utter neglect as it pertains to the trees. And that's all I will do. If it requires anything more than pruning, a little bit of milk, and then throwing stuff at the base, it's just not going to make it. I mean, it's just not adapted for that environment. Now, I may, let's say it's a Cortland apple. Well, I may change it out with something uh, let's say a honey crisp, and then I'll put it back in that hole or just change it all together. I mean, maybe it's going to be a peach or something else. So that's really the only thing we do in terms of trees. Now, what do we do in the garden, son? It's pretty much the same tactic, right? Yeah, we add compost in the garden um, when we don't rape the soil. Uh, so that's that's really it. 
I mean, th- preventing disease is really easy now that I think about it because we we don't have to we don't really deal with disease in any kind of way. Like half the I will say half the gardening tips that are pop up on uh, YouTube, like the YouTube shorts and stuff, just flat out don't apply. They just well, don't apply to us. us. Yeah. Well, I will say, the, remember, we talked about this. Now, this is one area where we got a hold of some of that Grazon soil and yep. we put it in the greenhouse. And yeah, so that was a mistake. We got in a rush, didn't use our compost, and we used some of that bag stuff. We had that turned out to be an absolute disaster. We did videos on it. And then we turned back around. And then what was the remediation process, huh? Add compost. <laughs> So we started up, (laughs) we had no, we didn't need the meat. We didn't need to at all. We started up the chicken tractor on steroids again at a time where we had no intention of doing it for one solitary purpose. And that was to build more. We wanted more compost to see if it would remediate those boxes. We put that stupid black cow or whatever else it was in there. And what happened, son? I mean, we saw results almost immediately yeah so i think it took us a while to get to it but i think the point like as far as trees and gardens and stuff like that to prevent disease add compost yeah (laughs) and the more local you can get that compost the better now i want to i want to make sure i point this out and this is through the work of dr elaine ingham and she's absolutely correct in that when you buy some of that bag soil it, remember, it comes down to microbial life. And with some of the studies that i am done as of late, I'm realizing that everything I thought I knew about soil life is actually incorrect. And in the, I can't go too deep into this right now because I don't know fully what I don't know yet, if that makes any sense at all. So when you buy, and I've used this example over and over again, When you buy soil, let's say it's bagged compost that came from, let's say you live in Tennessee and you get it from some really awesome place in Oregon. Okay. Well, yeah, it's probably pretty good. Okay. But here's the problem you're running into is that all of the microbes that were used to make that awesome soil back in Oregon are indigenous to Oregon. So when you take those and you bring them back to your place, well, they're not the same microbes, not at all, not in any way. And like I said, you can see more through the work of Dr. Elaine Ingham. And she's done, she's probably the best soil scientist on the planet. Now, this is why it's so important and best when you're dealing with some of these problems, figure out how to make compost at home because you are making compost from the organic, from the, from the microbes that are indigenous to your place. I've used the example over and over again so who is better going to survive in Alaska, an Inuit or a Panamanian? Well, it's going to be the Inuit, clearly. Now, if you were to take that same Inuit and drop them off in Panama, who's going to survive there? Well, clearly the Panamanian. It's the same exact thing when it comes to your microbes. So when that's in order, you'll find out that pests, disease, and it's also not planting a monocrop. We don't do that sort of thing. Um you know, not planting a monocrop companion planting um, that John Jevons, there's a lot of really good information in that book as well. If you're looking for a resource, it's a highly um, diverse, like our food force is a highly diverse area uh, in the food force itself. We rarely have duplicates of the same larger plant. Like uh, as far as the trees, I don't know if we have very many duplicates in the food force. Um, 
And as far as, well, we have duplicate blueberries, but other than that, there's a lot of diversity out in the food forest. And that's critical. Um, and so many, there's really a lot of diversity everywhere, but that's really critical out there because the idea is, we're, and we're finding that things, even, and now folks, keep in mind, we've been on this property just over three years. The people before us for years and years and years, I don't even know how many years, have been using dewormer, everything you should not use that's going to denude all the life in your soil. They were using for a decade or more. Yeah. I don't know. Also broadleaf killer. They were spraying their fence lines with broadleaf killer, which when they stopped, they came back with a vengeance in the form of uh, that creeping raspberry and just all that stuff. Yeah. So what we found out is that, you know, you put in the good stuff, there's a reason, look, you don't see thorns and thistles in good soil. You don't. You ever think about that? You never see a compost pile that's really good compost with any weeds growing out of it. Because they're, and we call them pioneer species, really, because the only reason they're there is because you have too much of something, too little of another, too much compaction, whatever the case may be. But we're finding out using these methods that the more and more and more we just concentrate on the soil, the better it's going to be. Now let's kind of shift over into animals, son. Okay. Um, you know, because now this is, this is critical for so many people. Now we've made the mistake in the past of buying stock off of Craigslist. And look, unless you're just going to put this animal in the freezer and you really don't care, I wouldn't do that. And then more and more we've gotten to the point, like let's, let's talk with chickens because that's what most people have access to. You're not necessarily going to be able, you know, a lot of folks that are listening to this are going to be likely living in, let's say, suburban areas or something like that. So let's say you do have some backyard chickens. Well, it's the same exact thing. When you feed them, like within chicken tractor on steroids, you're finding out that they're eating an enormous amount of biota out of that pile as it's composting. Go back. If you don't know what that is, go check it out on our YouTube. We got playlists all about it. We're finding out that within that system, these birds absolutely thrive. They don't even need a dust bath out there. They make one out of the compost piles. Now, in addition to that, with the um, with the chickens, the only thing we might add is like every single day, I give them a little bit of Thorvin kelp if they're within that system. But generally, even, you know, that's really all we give them. Even out in the field, the chickens move every day or this time of year, maybe every couple of days. So we really haven't had much in terms of disease. But what we're finding out is that when I do raise more birds, son, every time we hatch them out from the best birds we have, well, we get a better adapted bird to the soil they're in. Yeah, a stronger bird to the environment as well. Exactly. Like better, so better foragers, better like uh, scratchers in the compost pile. They're just harder workers in general. And we see very little, if any, disease at all. The only time we ever see any disease is when we bring in new birds and then we're thinking, okay, well, these guys are going to make it. We don't baby our animals either. So, you know, if it, do if it doesn't look like they're going to thrive, then, you know, they're going to have to graduate to the cook pot. So, and like with other things like sheep, like our stock. We bought stuff off of Craigslist and your mom, good night, y'all. I'm telling you, 
She brought those animals back from the brink of death. I don't even know how many times with yeah. natural means. Yeah. Yeah, she has. And they, they're a horrible stock. And mom has, I mean, just like she's, she's learned from multiple masters on sheep care and has combined the, uh, the information, but she won't let anybody like, she's very humble when it comes to it. She won't admit to anybody that she is a sheep expert at this point. She really is. I mean, especially when it comes to, I mean, good night, man. She would come up with these concoctions. I mean, every vet is telling her, no, we got to put these sheep down. Man, I'm telling you what, she'd go out there and she'd like some chemist put this stuff together and she gave these these sheep lived much longer than they ever should have, um, just based on her care. So, but we made that transition also. If you can also buy and spend the money and get some stock that is already good, you know, they're good at, you know, um, like, for example, these Katahdin sheep we have, we got them from Dr. Stewart, the the, um, the um, world shepherd himself, which, by the way, I can't wait to interview, and we're going to go back down and see him and go pick up a ram. Yep. But one cool thing about that is that he has parasite-resistant flocks. He has sheep that are bred to have good meat that do really well on the environment, that work all the way around. And so we buy those sheep. You know, no, they're not sheep. They're not cheap. But the idea is it's my favorite meat anyway. So we're going to get out of the cow business and move more into the sheep business. Plus, it's a lot easier to manage with all the things that we're about to start doing. And also in our environment, it is just a better animal uh, for the environment that when we're, we're in. When you have steep, unbelievable mountain terrain, they eat everything just about that a goat will. And without the management issues, they'll, so eat, they'll eat more than a goat. I think those sheep have a higher diversity of uh, forage than the goats do. The goats always seem to be picky. Yeah, I think I can relate to that a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of goats anyway. Plus the management issues, I'm just not a big fan. Um, I know. Look, don't mean to offend you, goat people out there, but yeah, that's in a nutshell. I mean, we kind of gave you the cliff notes there, but yeah, in terms of disease concentrate on the soil get that right learn everything you can about improving your soil all right y'all that's going to do it for that one so when we come back we're going to jump straight in the q and a All right, there you go. More of that Van Tesla. Um, like I said, speaking truth to power. All right, we're going to jump straight into the Q&A section. Got one right out of the gates from Maria. Um, very, very sweet stuff from so many of you folks, and it's a real joy to hear from you. Thank you so much. Um, hi, Billy. I want to let you know that I appreciate your podcast where you shared some of your life story with us. I could tell you struggled to get through it, but you did. I've been following your show, and you and William have become my favorite. Well, thank you so much, Maria. That's cool. Yeah. So um, she was. She goes on to say, "Thank you both for your amazing content and your honesty, and giving giving the list, listeners inspiration to be better in all aspects of life." Well, you know, I I really didn't want to do that episode a while back, but I'm glad I did because 
I realized that so many other people were able to relate. And a lot of you have stories that are similar to that. So, yeah, um, I do thank you, Maria, and all you other nice folks sending all this wonderful stuff. So you got anything from your end? Yep. This is from Strider47. And this is from the Fountain app, y'all. Uh, he said, truth is the root of all humor. That's why the lunatics struggle with humor. They each have their own vision of uh, personal truth. Truth comes from God. Go have fun. Tip a pimp. Man, I could not have said that better. That makes Man, sense. That was, yeah, it is. And really, this is why so many of these folks out there just don't have. This is why using humor to blast the powers that shouldn't be. It's, it, he just described perfectly why they find it so repugnant for, you know, groundlings like us to actually stand up and say this stuff. And they try to do everything they can to shut us up. Got one from Chris. Um, another one says your testimony was, he says, you're a good man. Um, you're inspiring. I mean, so many wonderful things, just like Maria a moment ago. Um, he says, yeah, stop by Mars Hill in September. Um, only Ingles I've ever seen that didn't have a breakfast menu. Yeah, I'm a little irritated about that myself. <laughs> what do you got, son? I got one from uh, Eric Sider. It's interesting that the same people screaming about tolerance and acceptance are unwilling to tolerate or accept any worldview different than their own. Consensus doesn't work. If your beliefs are so fragile that you can't tolerate a con contrary opinion, then perhaps you don't truly believe it yourself. And what a boring and miserable world would it be if we all agreed on everything? Tip a contrary pimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go check out Eric Sider's YouTube channel, y'all. Also, all the people that are wanting um, consultations or anything of that nature, you will be floored at what Eric can do remotely. Yeah. So you reach out to him. Check out his YouTube channel. He's got contact information over there. But I couldn't agree more. Um, we got this one here from Alan. Uh, thank you from afar. I, I had no idea how providential podcast 55 was Sunday. The woman I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with ended the relationship driving home from Jackson, uh, Tennessee on Tuesday. Um, and then basically in a nutshell, he says, what I got from you was, you know, talking about getting rid of toxic people and how sometimes they even remove themselves, man, that is exactly right. Alan, I'm sorry to hear, I'm sorry, you know, that didn't pan out for you, but maybe I'm just not. maybe you found out at the perfect time, dude. <laughs> well, found out at yeah, the perfect you time. Point there, but it, it doesn't ease the heartache. I mean, if you thought you were going to spend a life with her and then, you know, she bounces on down the way, you know, that's one of those things that only time heals. So, um, you know, blessings to you. And I'm, I'm hoping you get back in the saddle, my man. Hit the gym, homie. There you go. <laughs> User Tim healer. Hey, just wondering what your thoughts are on using drywall board as a weed blocker instead of cardboard. I'm a drywall finisher and the dumpsters are always full of drywall. I'm not sure if there's anything real bad that's in it, but uh, into the board itself or not. Um, so he's basically asking, can he use drywall to as a weed blocker instead of cardboard? I don't know about all that, man. There's a lot of gypsum in there. I don't know about putting a bunch of gypsum on, gypsum on your soil. And I don't know how that stuff would even break down. I, I don't think I would give it a shot. What do you think? I don't know. Maybe try. I would ask Eric Sider and hopefully he comments and responds to this. Um, I don't know. It seems like it would work. I mean, yeah, it seems like it would work. But the, also the benefit uh, of cardboard, if there isn't anything toxic in it and if it isn't going to change the pH too much, but also the benefit of cardboard is that it's a... Uh, 
easy access for worms. It's like a little highway for worms. I'd stick to the cardboard, man. It's ubiquitous. You can get it everywhere. I don't know if I'd be putting gypsum out there. I mean, I, I'm sure somebody's done it, but I don't think anything else is going to grow around it. I mean, the idea is that the worms ultimately break that cardboard down and it becomes soil, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't see that happening with some drywall. Yeah. But you, if you're going to try it, I mean, let me know, take a small patch and let me know how it pans out. But I wouldn't do it. I'd definitely go with a cardboard. If you do try it, I would make sure you saturate it with water and then cover it with a carbon source, some like really thick carbon source. Because if that stuff gets wet and then it dries again, I think it's going to turn into rock. Yeah, that's all the more reason why I wouldn't mess with it. Got one from Alicia. Says, hello, Billy and William. She's from Oklahoma, uh, Nawada, Oklahoma. Love your podcast. I started Food Forest thanks to your podcast this last spring, and it still needs a lot of work. It's okay. That's exactly how it goes, Alicia. Um, I have a suggestion for a cheap way to buy trees. I found out ordering from the Missouri Department of Converse, Conversation <laughs> Conservation last year. Well, basically, in a nutshell, she's getting... She says, I'm getting 25 hazelnuts for 44 bucks. That's less than two bucks a tree. And then she's getting a lot of other things. Yeah, Alicia, we talked, I think, some of the earlier podcasts about that is one awesome resource. Arbor Day Foundation, um, ag universities. Um, Even regular universities. There's so many awesome. What's that, son? Even regular universities. Most of them have like a nursery of some sort, I would think. Yeah, a lot of them do, but you can really, a lot of ag universities produce them in enormous numbers. What do you got? Um, this is from Poboy. He's saying, don't forget to update the fountain app so you can keep earning sats and tip a pimp. Bam! That's what I'm talking about. Um, check this one out from Sharon. It says, hi, Billy. I recently purchased, purchased some of your comfrey, anxiously waiting for them to sprout. Do you have any comfrey sat available? Yeah, a number of people have asked about what's up. Yeah, go to our website. Uh, permapasturesfarm.com. I don't know whether we were having glitches in the matrix or whatever, but uh, at least a couple of people were saying they couldn't find it. So it I got should be myself. should be good to go. It should yeah. everything on there should be good to go. Well, um, she says. Go ahead. She says. She says. Do you have any comfrey salve available? Yes, we do. My granddaughter is a gymnast and has gotten turf toe. Wanted to see if it would do some good for her in the hopes that it might heal it faster. Um, wow. Um, I'm curious, you know, what's, I'm still freaking out over the wonderful lady that sent that picture of her dog, uh, <laughs> using it as knit bone. I mean, I'm still floored at that one. Now the little puppy's running around again. I mean, how cool is that? So yeah. I'm curious also if that turf toe will help your granddaughter or if it'll square away that turf toe and your granddaughter. Well, Tony's kid, he's learning how to ride a bike and stuff like that. Tony from the confessionals. He has a podcast called the confessionals. Check him out. Um, but he has a kid who's learning how to ride a bike and he rode his bike into a tree and scraped up his face, um, kind of badly. And then they used that comfrey salve and healed it up in like a week. He took photos, documented everything. Yeah. The stuff works, man. No doubt. You got something on your end. Yep. This is uh this is the good news that was posted earlier. Um, this is from B Lynn. Good news. You asked for one I had twin goat kids born yesterday. Uh, two, going this weekend to pick up new rabbits that are supposed to do well in our summer heat in Mississippi. And three, so far, no more snow. Well, that is awesome news indeed. Yeah, y'all, send them in. We're going to, instead of sourcing like media 
kind of news. Look, we're going to try to do the best we can to source it from y'all. Um, and and thank you so much for that. Yeah, send us more of your. I don't even care. It doesn't have to be farming related. It could be anything as long as it's good news. Look, how many times a day are we all hearing this awful stuff? Let's let's bear each other up and pray for each other and wish each other the best and do the best we possibly can to, you know, we're, we're going to do everything we possibly can, at least on our end, to, to try to make more people aware of all this wonderful news that does happen. All you right, can also, so, well, yeah. also, I was thinking you could use the voicemail line to call in and tell us your good news. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent point. Okay, we got one from... Um, Andrew, and I'm just going to, because we're, we're getting kind of long in the tooth here, I'll just go to it next. Um, it, it's pretty awesome. It, it's a lengthy email, but it, it's really awesome. He says he's uh, he's been breaking free of the Matrix over the last year, last few years, and he's reached a milestone of being debt-free. Awesome. And then he's saying his next personal goal is to earn a PDC, and he says he's not currently working. Okay, so in a nutshell, um. There's options out there when it comes to a PDC. If you want the very best on the planet, it's going to be Jeff Lawton's online PDC. It's not always available. But if you're like my man here, you might want to check out the one at School of Permaculture because it's like 25 bucks a month. And there's an option there where you can get the training and not necessarily get the... Look, I don't care about degrees or cert certifications and all that stuff, man. Who? I mean, I'm sure a lot of you... Uh, people feel the same way so if you just want the training and the knowledge then maybe that's the best option for you but if you want to have that under your belt well then there's that option as well what do you got son uh, that's it on the fountain app those are all the questions well i got got one from susan here um i've been watching you and others talk about permaculture and regenerative living you've inspired me to buy four acres i live in skidmore texas um I have no infrastructure. I have an old lean-to and a chicken coop that's too far back to secure one acre on a home and three with brush. The land is basically flat, but I'm told that it gets a foot or so of rain. Having trouble with what to do first. Building seems to start at 10 grand. Do I clear the land, then check elevation, or just start prepping the land for planting? How can, I, um, how can you help? Is this something I could hire you for? Well, let me just cut to the chase. Um, Susan, we're really up to our eyeballs in so many things. You're not going to find better than Eric Sider when it comes to these kinds of questions. And he could probably do more remotely than most people are going to be able to do on ground. He's that good at he, what he does. He can give you a full plan of attack as well. I mean, that's part of what a permaculture designer does is give you like an order of operations or a plan of attack to follow. And you can't beat him. No. He is so meticulous and thorough. You might want to reach out to him, but as far as getting us enlisted in something like that, we're really going to be clearing the slate, I think, over this next year because we're, we're planning some big things, and it's going to require a great deal of effort on the parts of all of us at Permapastures Farm to try to make some of these things happen. And so we, we, we really can't, even like a lot of the speaking engagements, after uh, what I already have, on the docket, I'm probably going to go, it's probably going to require everything to just stay here and do what it is we're trying to do. So yeah, I would definitely reach out to Eric Sider and see if there's anything he can do to help you there. Um, 
You're not going to find better. Um, okay, so check this one out. North American Dream. Always love hearing from there. Um, it's a long, but it, I mean, I, I, I can't go into all of it, but basically, in a nutshell, uh, it says this is a long but important email. I've been trying to find salt that does not contain any additives such as nitrates, nitrites, iodine, or uh, Prussian of soda. You know, sometimes listed as yellow Prussian of soda. Even Morton salt is Prussian of soda. It's also a form of cyanide, which I looked up Prussian of soda. It could be approved by the FDA for general for generally considered safe use. Sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what they said about the jab. And yes, some people use rock salt, which is listed as not used for human consumption. Basically, and then finally found uh, Morton canning salt, which is made for human consumption without any additives. And it's also uh, $1.98 at Wally World for three bucks a box. The only ingredient is salt. You know what? In a nutshell, that's exactly how I roll. Son, how long have I been making bacon with nothing but salt? I mean, yeah, I mean for years. As long as you've been making bacon. Yeah. <laughs> that's how long you've been making it with just salt. Yeah. Just, well, salt. Well, Not I pink use salt. salt. I don't use no pink salt, none of that stuff. I use salt, brown sugar, and maple syrup when I can get my hands on stuff that's real maple syrup. That's all I use to cure bacon and stuff like that. So, and like, and like, and like they say right here in the email, our ancestors used plain salt to cure, to smoke uh, and cure meats. That was all they used. Okay. Forever in a day, that's all they used. Hey, so it doesn't require all this other nonsense. Speaking of salt, I heard there was uh, issues with using sea salt now that there's microplastics within it. Um, so don't even go for sea salt now. That's not even yeah. just straight up salt yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's just, that's, it's dreadful. I mean, I mean, the where it's getting, it's just absolutely dreadful. I mean, my goodness. Well, we don't want to end it on a, on a low note, but remember, I mean, just like North American Dream said there, at the end of the day, all they used was salt. So that's all I use. And that's all I've been using for years, y'all. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us, y'all. Thank you so much for checking us out. Till next time, stay alert. Stay alive.